We're going to be taking our Bibles and turning back over to the Gospel of Luke chapter 24 this evening as we prepare to receive the Lord's uh, table in our service today. Luke chapter 24 uh, to the story, the text, the historical event that we were looking at this morning. I want to consider uh, the um, amazing value of the presence of Jesus Christ in the lives of those two disciples on the road to Emmaus and uh, how powerful that, that time with Jesus Christ was. And they knew him was a key phrase that was mentioned here in this uh, story. Well, as you know, today is Palm Sunday, the beginning of Jesus' Passion Week, and uh, Christians from uh, around the world are celebrating this week the events that Jesus Christ experienced in Jerusalem from Sunday to Sunday. Today was the day of demonstration as Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem uh, on Palm Sunday and was recognized by the populace as being their Messiah, the Son of David. And they accepted him. They laid down their outer garments and palm leaves for the donkey that carried him to walk across as they came from the Mount of Olives down through the Kidron Valley and up into the entrance into the city of Jerusalem. Monday was the day of authority. He went in and he cleaned house. He said, this, uh, this is my father's house. It's a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. He made a whip. He kicked over tables. He drove the merchandisers off the temple platform. He said, this is my house. I'm taking control of my house. You have messed up. Out of here. That was the day of authority. On Tuesday, Jesus Christ arrived to the temple platform first thing in the morning. And the religious leadership of Israel had been stewing all night long over what Jesus did on Monday when he kicked over their tables, drove them off the temple platform out of the bazaar of the, the bazaars of uh, the high priest Annas. And, uh, and they were ticked. And they met Jesus Christ and they condemned him. And Jesus locked horns with the religious leaders of Israel on Tuesday, the day of conflict. Wednesday was the day of betrayal where Judas went to the chief priests and said, You've been wanting him? I'll, I'll tip you off as to where you can get him without causing a scene. And he betrayed Jesus Christ. Friday was the day of suffering. Where Jesus, I'm sorry, Thursday was the day of preparation where Jesus Christ and the disciples met in the upper room. And there they observed the last Passover uh, that was to be observed together. And uh, there they prepared for his imminent arrest and death uh, later that night, early in the morning hours. Friday was the day of suffering, the day in which he was crucified. Saturday, the day of absence as he lay in the tomb. Sunday, next Sunday, the day of victory. This has all happened in the last seven days, today being the eighth day. And now it's, it's Resurrection Sunday and Jesus Christ begins to make, an, make his appearances to various of his followers. Uh, this morning we spent some time examining Jesus' post-resurrection appearance to these two disciples. Uh, Cleopas and an unnamed friend as they traveled from Jerusalem back home to the village of Emmaus after the Passover week. And um, as the afternoon neared its close, uh, neared its end, and they arrived to Emmaus, Jesus Christ 
uh, acted as if he was going to continue to go on, but they asked him if he would consider staying there with them. And so Jesus Christ stayed there with them, and they sat down at a table, and around that table, uh, an amazing, uh, amazing things happened. And, and they knew they were with Jesus Christ himself. What is it like to be in the presence of Jesus Christ? What's, what must it be like to, to realize that we're in his presence and we're experiencing his presence in our lives? And, and the, kind of the, the bluff of the evening message as we prepare for the Lord's Supper is simply that it's our personal time with Jesus Christ that enriches our lives. And the Lord's Supper is a part of that personal time with Jesus Christ that enriches our lives. I want to observe three benefits that those two disciples experienced that evening in the presence of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to jump down in our text to verse number 29. We looked at the story this morning. We did not, we kind of glossed over this portion of the story of what happened there in the home, perhaps, of Cleopas. Verse 29, the Bible says, They constrained him, saying, Abide with us. And the end of the verse says that he went in to tarry with them. I want you to think just for a moment about the value of the presence of Jesus Christ in our life. They're sitting around a table with a resurrected Savior, a living, risen Savior. They don't know it yet, but they're in the presence and have been for the last few hours traveling from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And after having spent the hours with him on the road and listening to him explain his word and enjoying his presence, even though they didn't realize who he was, they sensed, they experienced something that was precious and special to them. They didn't want it to end. They were sorry that they got home to Emmaus. And they hated to see the trip come to its destination. And so they asked him, would you abide with us? And the text says that Jesus went into Terry with them. The value of his presence. There's a couple of songs that, uh, that are sung or we sing sometimes that, uh, that express the value of the presence of Jesus Christ. One of them is a song entitled, In the Presence of Jehovah. Here's a portion of the song, just the verse. We'll put the words up on the screen. The one before that, uh, please. Uh, the, the, uh, in the presence, do you have a, a slide? I'm sorry, I didn't give you that one, did I? Okay. Um, then let me just read you the words. I didn't put that one on a slide. Here's the words of the song that is sometimes sung in the, uh, in the presence of Jehovah. I believe it's the chorus. It goes like this. In the presence of Jehovah, God... Almighty Prince of Peace. Troubles vanish. Hearts are mended in the presence of the King. I can still hear that gospel soloist singing that song, powerful song, in the presence of Jehovah. There's something special about knowing you're in the presence of Jehovah God. And troubles seem to melt away. His presence brings to us such great value. There's another song that I did put on the, on the slides that uh, Shireen brought up. I, 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 we looked at this, and we even sang this on a recent Wednesday night during a, a prayer meeting, uh, preparing our hearts to pray. And we were thinking about resting in the presence of Jehovah God. There's, um, 
a lady, if you'll back up one slide just for a second, her name was Jean Sophia Pigott. She lived back in the 1800s, as you can see. She died young at 37 years of age. She's the one who wrote this song, Jesus, I Am Resting. Resting. She wrote this song, and it became very well-known, particularly over in England. She was uh, born in, and uh, lived and died in Ireland in the 1800s. Uh, there were some uh, missionaries that uh, this became a very special song to them. It became very meaningful to them. As a matter of fact, when the Boxer Rebellion broke out in uh, China, and, uh, and so many uh, missionaries and Christians were put to death in China during the Boxer Rebellion, uh, revolution, um, the head of the China Inland Mission uh, said that this particular song was a most meaningful song that they sang during those troubled times of the Boxer Rebellion when so many of their missionaries were brutally put to death. Here's some of the words of this song on the screen. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I am finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. Thou hast bid me gaze upon thee, and thy beauty fills my soul. For by thy transforming power, thou hast made me whole. The chorus goes, Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I am finding out the greatness of thy loving heart became a very important song, hymn, to those in very troubled times in China during that horrible period. I am resting in the presence of my God. Those disciples spent some time, uh, an amazing experience for a number of hours, resting in the presence of Jesus Christ. And then at the end, Jesus revealed to them who he was. You know, the Lord's Supper is a time for us to do something similar, to rest in the presence of Jesus Christ, to let the cares pass by, and to observe the Lord's table as a time of meditation, a time of focus, a time of experiencing the value of being in the presence of Jesus Christ. There's another benefit that comes from the presence of Jesus Christ. And that is the opportunity to ponder the cost of being able to be in his presence. When Jesus Christ sat there around the table with those two disciples that evening, they still didn't know who he was, but they were, they were uh, greatly impacted by the hours they had spent in his presence and Jesus Christ picked up a piece of bread. Now, he was not the host. This would have been very unusual. Uh, we, we would say it would be bordering on being rude. Jesus was the guest, the invited guest. He was not the host that would prepare the meal or serve the meal. But Jesus Christ, sitting there at the table, picked up... A piece of bread. Verse number 30 tells us about it. Verse 30 says, And it came to pass, as he said it meet with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave it to them. I'm drawn to those four words. Bread, blessed, broke, and gave. You see, it had only been three days. 
since Jesus Christ was with his apostles in the upper room. It's recorded in Luke chapter 22, verses 14 to 20, as Jesus Christ, in the process of observing the final Passover before his death, he did the very same thing with his apostles. He took a piece of bread. He blessed it. He broke it, and he gave it to them. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. This do ye as often as you take it in remembrance of me. It had only been three days. My, what had happened in three days since Jesus Christ had done that. Was Cleopas there in that room? Was the other unnamed disciple in that room? Um, perhaps not because that seemed to have just been the apostles in the upper room. But since that evening, how many of the details of the upper room had been discussed by the disciples during the flurry of activity with regards to the arrest of Jesus Christ and his crucifixion and the day of absence on the Sabbath day? As they went back over in their minds, every detail, every, every fragment of information as to what had happened. And, and I'm left to ponder, did, did Cleopas and his unnamed friend... In their conversations, they were there together when the women came from the tomb. The time they spent together, maybe the whole Sabbath day, we don't know. Did they discuss the upper room? Did, did they hear the apostles describe Jesus at the last Passover? Taking the bread, blessing it, breaking it, giving it to them. And instructing them the meaning of the bread. That's all speculation. That's all conjecture. We don't know. But one thing we do know, as those two men sat there across the table, and as they watched Jesus do the very same thing he had done three days earlier, they knew who he was. Was it the familiarity of the story that they had heard? Was it other times that they had broken bread with Jesus Christ as his disciples and watched Jesus as he took bread and broke it and blessed it and gave it to them. We don't know. God doesn't tell us. But it was at that moment of observing Jesus Christ take that bread and bless it and break it and give it to them that their eyes were opened and they immediately knew who he was and he was gone, vanished from their sight. I am left to ponder and wonder about the cost. They're after the horrible events of, of the day of suffering. They have lived through the excruciating experience of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I have to wonder when they saw him bless that bread and break it. Having three days earlier said this broken bread is the picture of the broken body. And as often as ye take this, do so in remembrance of them. That that didn't fill their minds with the cost of their relationship and being in the presence of Jesus Christ. That's a bit of speculation. That's a bit of wondering. But I do know that when we observe the Lord's Supper, it's very real. That we ponder being in the presence of Jehovah and we ponder the cost to him for us to enjoy his presence. And then there's a final benefit, a third benefit. 
The third benefit has to do with the joy in your understanding. Verse 31 and 32 tells us that their eyes were opened. The Bible says, and their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? As their understanding became clear, joy flooded their lives. And they knew that the one they had spent the afternoon with was their Savior. And the cost of Calvary was the cost of their ability to have a relationship and to be in the presence of God. And joy flooded their hearts. On Resurrection Sunday and for the 40 days following, Jesus made his victory clear to his disciples one by one. They began to understand and their understanding increased incrementally as they understood what had happened in their presence. One of the ladies this morning, Prawina Prakash, came to me after the service this morning. She said, Pastor, since you have been preaching uh, on Luke last Sunday, uh, I've, been, I've been reading and studying from the four gospel accounts the, the story of the resurrection of Christ and, and his appearances to different individuals and groups after the resurrection of Christ from the different gospels. And, and she said, you know, uh, it's, it's confusing. And, and I'm reading it and I'm studying it. I'm, I'm wanting to understand it. And one person sees one angel. And one person sees two angels. And one person sees an angel at the stone. And one person sees an angel inside the sepulcher. And when you read all of the different stories, it, it's... It's hard to to be able to understand exactly how things unfolded and how they happened. And you know, that's God hides nuggets so that it's only those who work who can enjoy those nuggets. The surface reader doesn't appreciate the depth and intricacies of the Word of God. It's those who study. As we learned this morning, the value of reading and studying the Bible, it's, it's, it's something that if we don't do and have, it, it will cost us in our life as it cost Cleopas and his friend. But Jesus is so patient with us. He never gives up on us. He's patient with us. He takes us wherever we are, helps us to learn more as he did with those two men. I was talking to Perwina afterwards. I said, you know, Perwina, I said, if... Uh, if someone see, writes down they saw an angel and someone else writes down that they saw two angels, that's not a contradictory. That just means one of them took notice of the one and another one took notice, well, there wasn't just one. There's actually two. And, uh, and, and there was one of them out here and there, there was one or two of them in there. And it, it's, not, it's not contradictions. It's putting together the pieces so that you have the full picture of what occurred. And you know that's, a, that's one of the great things about the Bible. Had the Bible been manufactured by people trying to create and launch a new religion. They would have done a better job at collaborating in their stories. And everything would have been exactly the same. Because they were trying to make something up. And uh, uh, it's like a little napkin that one of Betty's friends uh, gave her one day, and the napkin had the picture of two ladies, and they were saying, okay, if we get caught, here's the story. Advance planning of what the story is so we can both tell the same story 
if we're caught and put in two different rooms. And you know, the fact that, that the Bible doesn't just repeat the same thing, but it gives us different facets that have to be integrated, means I have to read and think and study and pray. God, what did you mean by this? Holy Spirit, when you wrote this, how does this fit together? And it's those who read and study and pray and seek to understand that God puts the pieces of the puzzle together. And it becomes richer and richer and richer as people study and give time uh, to that. It, it was years ago when, when, um, when I preached through the post-resurrection accounts, uh, post-resurrection appearances of Jesus Christ. did a series on, I think, a Sunday morning. I don't even know if it was here. It might have even been in the church in Canada. I don't know if I, I ever repeated that series here in, uh, at Community Baptist. But, but I found a, a book that was really a blessing to me. It's written by a guy by the name of Moore, The Last Days of Jesus, The 40 Days Between the Resurrection and Ascension. 40 days where Jesus Christ appeared to this person, that person, this group, that group. A little verse here, a little verse over here in 1 Corinthians 15, something said in Luke, something said in Matthew or Mark, and you take all of that information and you synthesize that by studying and reading and rereading and studying and then things begin to fall into place. This guy wrote a book, what, um, uh, over 200 pages, putting together the, uh, the synthesis of the story of Jesus Christ between Sunday's resurrection and 40 days later when he ascended back uh, to heaven. And what a blessing it is to be able to read and study the Word of God and, and the joy that fills us as a result of our time spent with God. And they knew him. And they knew him. They knew the value of being in his presence. They pondered the cost of what it cost him for them to be in his presence. And they experienced the joy of understanding things that they'd never understood before. It's the blessing of having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to end by getting you to turn back with me to the Psalms, to Psalm 16. There's a Psalm of David in which David made a statement at the end of Psalm 16 that parallels so closely with this passage from Cleopas and his friend there in Emmaus. Psalm 16 is a psalm in which David is expressing to God in prayer what God means to him. He's in the presence of Jehovah, worshiping God in prayer, pouring out his heart as to how important God is to him in his life and what God means to him. He closes his time of prayer in verse number nine. Uh, verse number nine. He says, Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth, my flesh also shall rest in hope. David's experience, having been in the presence of Jehovah and worshiping him in prayer, was he was glad, he rejoiced, he rested in his hope because he had spent time in the presence of Jehovah God. Boy, I see that in Cleopas and his friend when they realized 
the magnitude of what they had just experienced, having a few hours in the presence of Jehovah. And then I see why David could have such an experience. Verse number 10 begins with the word for, for this reason or for this cause. Here's what causes me to have joy and rejoicing, gladness, hope, rest. It's for because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. The word hell speaks of the grave. It's the location of the departed one. If it's If the context is talking about the body, it's the grave where they planted the body in the earth. If it's talking about the person, the soul, it's talking about where the soul went. And and so David says, the reason I have such hope and gladness and joy is because you will not leave my soul in hell, in the grave, in the place of departed ones. In other words, I'm going to rise from the grave. There's life after the heart stops ticking. There's life after the car accident. There's life after the funeral. The reason I'm glad is because I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he's living. No matter what anyone else says. He's real to me. And I know that I will not end at the funeral. You will not allow me to come to such an end. And the reason he was confident in that is in the second half of verse 10. He says, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. That is quoted in the New Testament referring to Jesus Christ's bodily resurrection from the grave. This verse is quoted in the book of Acts about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God the Father will not allow the holy one, Jesus Christ, to see corruption and his body return to death, to, to dust. God will resurrect him from the grave. And this is a prophetic passage quoted in the New Testament as a prophecy of Jesus Christ's resurrection. So what is David's experience of being in the presence of God and worshiping God in prayer and telling God how valuable God is to him? His experience was joy and gladness and rejoicing and Victory and happiness. Why? Because he knew that he was going to live forever. And he knew that because he knew Jesus Christ was going to live forever. Jesus Christ was going to conquer death so that he could conquer death. Jesus Christ would live so that he could live. And then in the last verse, we see the result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the result of the assurance that because Jesus lives, I will live also. The result, verse number 11 Thou wilt show me the path of life. God, you'll show me how to live. Not only will you show me the path of life, but in thy presence is fullness of joy. I will live in your presence, and living in your presence will mean a life of joy. And then I'm going to be at thy right hand with pleasure. Forevermore. Wow. That's true of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has life. He has joy. He has pleasure forevermore. Because he rose from the grave. And that's true of you and me as well. In the presence of Jehovah, David worshipped God 
And he was caught up in the reality that God was real and had conquered death so that he could conquer death. And because of that, he knew how to live. He was filled with joy. And he lived a life with pleasures that would go throughout all of eternity. These are the values of enjoying the presence of Jehovah God in our lives. And so this evening, as we often do as a church family, we, we gather together to focus on the purpose of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, his broken body, and his poured out blood in order that I might have salvation that will give me life eternal. We ponder his presence. He's here with us. He said if even only two of us met together to observe the Lord's Supper, he would be here with us. A lot, a lot more than two of us here tonight. He said, I'm there with you. We ponder the value of his presence. As we hold the piece of broken bread, our minds go back to crucifixion day when Jesus Christ's body was, was horribly ripped into shreds. And we hold a piece of bread that represents an image, a, a, a reminder, a, a memory tool to remind us that his body was savagely ripped into shreds that we might have life. And we hold that piece of bread and we ponder what it cost him to save our souls. We take a little cup that contains the fruit of the vine and we, we allow our mind to drift back to the cross of Calvary as if we were there and caught a few drops of his blood as it was poured from his body and we hold that fruit of the vine in our hands and we ponder the cost, what it cost him for me to enjoy his presence. And as we partake of that bread and as we partake of that fruit of the vine, we are pondering the cost. And because of that cost, we joy in our understanding. Aren't you glad you know? Aren't you glad God made himself known to you? Somebody shared with you the truth. A parent, a friend, a Sunday school teacher, somebody helped you know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are filled with joy and we value his presence all coming out of what he endured for us on the cross of Calvary. And so tonight as we observe the Lord's Supper, may this be a time of worship. May this be a time of pondering, of thinking, of, of what it's like to enjoy the presence of God filling this place tonight. And thinking about the cost of what it cost him. And thinking about the value we have in our lives because he was willing to pay that cost. Now, of course, when Jesus Christ taught us how to observe the Lord's Supper, he told us that we should always be cautious because he didn't die on the cross to give us an escape hatch so that we could live our lives, have our fling, enjoy our sin, but just not have to go to hell. He died to remove sin from our lives, to conquer the power of sin in our lives, to give us victory over sin in our lives. And so he cautioned us that observing the Lord's Supper is a really serious thing because I'm pondering what it cost him to conquer sin in my life. And if I ponder the depth of what it cost him and yet work to protect my enjoyment of committing sin, then I blaspheme the cost that he paid.
God says that's serious. And that's why I judge people who trivialize the cost of Calvary by flippantly observing the Lord's Supper without any, without any consciousness of the difference it's making in their lives to enable them to have victory over sin. And so he told us, he didn't, he didn't give us an out. <laughs> Brother Dan, he didn't say, well, if you're sinning and enjoying your sin, just skip the Lord's Supper. He didn't, give us, he didn't say just skip the Lord's Supper so you don't get in trouble. He said, but let a man examine himself and so let him partake of the Lord's Supper. He doesn't give us it out. He says, get right. And when you get right, then observe the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper is a command, so to not take the Lord's Supper is disobedience. But to take the Lord's Supper with a heart that's harboring sin is a dangerous thing to do. So God has a simple solution. Examine yourselves. And then partake of the Lord's Supper with a heart that's clean, you ponder what it cost him to conquer sin in my life so that I can have joy forever in the presence of Jehovah.